Welcome to Podcast Maximus, episode 45. We're in week question mark of the coronavirus crisis, which is now uh, sort of developed into a completely different kind of crisis. Um, maybe we'll come back to that. But I am, as always, Tom McNally, and we are here with the rest of the team, including Stuart Webb. I am also here, yes. <laughs> Good, good. And Marion Hilditch. I am here too. We're all here, still here. We've not fallen foul of the police. And we're here with Podcast Maximus. We're here to talk about the... We're here to catch up uh, in this, in this three-month gap between issues. That gives us enough breathing time to catch up with the IDW Transformers comics from issues 13 up to 18. Yeah, 19 is out, but because that's the start of another new story, we thought we would do uh, the one arc rather completely up to date. Yeah, and also we we don't want to give you everything, gentle listener. We've always got to keep something back. Otherwise, you won't miss us when we're gone. And who knows how long we'll be gone for next time. <laughs> Marion has all the details. She'll be telling us exactly which issues happened, when they happened, and who allowed them to happen? Oh, God, you want me to... Oh, no, okay, I'll try. You might have to fill in. My notes are, for the for the large part, are just names. Mm-hmm. Names and names and more names. But let's start with issue 13. So this is the story I call The Change in Your Nature, um, six arc. Um, starts with issue 13. Writer, as always, is Brian Rackley. And art in this issue is by Angel Hernandez and Alex Milne. Hey. Uh, colors by Jana Lafuente and Joss Perez. Uh, Tom Belong in letters. And we've got Winston Chan doing uh, a cover for us. So in this issue, we've got a very angry bumblebee uh, speaking to Alita Wan, I believe, uh, about how things are not going quite right. Uh, gets uh, convinces her to look into some files with him. Um, and uh, on the other hand, so these are the Alex Milne drawn pages, they get caught um, in the end. Uh, but this is because, meanwhile, what's been happening on a different side of the planet is we've got a completely different group of um, Rise bots um, trying to, what are they even doing? They are trying to... Kicking um, down doors. Kicking down doors, are they are they they trying to find a weapon stash? Are they I forget how it starts. They're after, they're going after six shot. No, no, they're not there. They're after Energon, I think. They're siphoning. Uh, oh, yeah, that's what I mean. So the rise bots, uh, which get cornered, get cornered by sideswipe and uh, Springer uh, inside a uh, in an immersion titan, um, and uh, the whole thing kicks off where we've got a big standoff. Uh, with them trapped in there, and then everybody else rushing to the well, not really quite rescue. I think everybody just wants them dead, really. Um, and it all the whole thing just uh, kicks off. Um, and then we are, I believe, into issue 14. Did I leave anything out of that issue? Uh, just at the sort of amid all this, like uh, 13 issues after he was murdered, Ratchet has worked out who killed Brainstorm. The whole, oh, yeah. the whole instigative thing for the entire series that now nobody but Ratchet cares about. 
he doesn't quite he doesn't quite reveal it in this one, does he? He name drops. He says, "Have you ever heard of frenzy?" Um, so it looks like uh, yeah, they're they're starting to catch up with what is going on. Um, my favorite bit of this issue, which is that uh, when Bumble when uh, <laughs> Soundwave uh, catches a little one and Bumblebee, a little one uses. Uh, the excuse that Bumblebee just wanted to have a look at his data. Uh, he invokes his subject access request rights, <laughs> which just made me laugh a bit too much for no good reason. Uh, yeah, we see also forgot to, uh, to mention Windblade, who is still in uh, some kind of um, um, in, a, in a pod, in a healing pod. But we find out that she's okay and she should be out of it soon. Then we're on to issue 14. So we've got Brian Rackley again uh, as our writer. And then we switch our R to Anna Markova, Beth McGuire Smith, mm-hmm. uh, Joanna Lafuente on colors, uh, Tom Belong on letters. Uh, we've got Kay Zamabak on the cover. Um, and uh, we've also got Priscilla Tramontano and Sarah Peter Jorosei on covers, which makes this an almost a, a entirely female issue. But definitely an entirely female issue on the art side of it, which is nice. Uh, so we've got the, the rest of the, uh, the standoff there. Uh, it's all starting to kick off. Uh, Sandwave arrives at the scene and decides that he's going to go and talk to the um, to the trapped risers. Um, goes in, has a chat. They say the the worst thing they could have possibly said, which is that they've got some some info on him. So he proceeds to blow them all up. Um, but um, nobody knows exactly how the explosion happened. So anyway, there you go. Uh, let's read their names, shall we? Uh, Wire, Spike, Cascade, Lolos, and the uh, Ruckus. Rest in peace. Oh no, they, they don't all die, though, do they? Two of them are in a they go in, uh, in a coma, I believe. Yeah, I think Ruckus uh, survives. I, I can't remember who the other one was, but uh, Ruckus is the one who is too stupid to live. Where he's Salmon goes, so tell me, is there any reason that I would have to kill you all now? And Lucas goes, yes, there is a good reason for you to kill us all now. Let me explain this in great detail. Uh, I believe we find out for the. I, I don't know if this is the first time, but uh, Nautica drops some facts as well. So Nautica is working on uh, why exactly uh, the particular um, boy was assassinated. Uh, so she's trying to find some information, and I, I believe she—it's for the first time that we find out that the rise is uh, 500 plus strong at this point, uh, which is quite a significant number. And then we've got a, uh, a an, an ambassador, I believe, of the um, uh, I forget what what we call it. Uh, this thing that arrives that's uh, gonna cause uh, a lot of trouble. Uh, accusator, was it something like that? Uh... Oh, the Voin. Uh, yeah. 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 The the thing with the gorillas, Asserta. Yeah. Asserta. Yes. That's it. I thought you were going to say thing with the gorillas was their name. There. <laughs> I am a thing with the gorillas. There's a good chance I may be getting my issues mixed up. But I think this may be happening a little bit further down. Um, but yeah, the Asserta. Um, we also find out that Starscream has been, oh my God, shock horror, scheming in the background. Who would have ever thought that possible? And he's got a refractor um, in with the uh, Ascenticons, uh, his brand new Decepticon brand. Megatron, meanwhile, uh, at the end is seen with Jaxus. Um, and we'll see more of that later. And also something weird is happening to the planet. 
um, that seems to kick off after the big explosion that uh, Soundwave uh, sets off. Yeah, that's, I, I, I want to figure out the cause and effect there. I think it's deliberately vague. But does the explosion of the Titan cause the geezers, or does the explosion come after the geezers? Yeah, I wasn't clear either. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that is interesting. Anything else that I've missed in this particular issue that's very, very important? Other than the fact that also a little one seems to be getting more and more skeptical about Soundwave and about what's going on. And the fact that Bumblebee overhears the whole conversation between Soundwave and the Rise. So finds out about Shockwave. I like how this is maybe the first actual spying that Bumblebee's ever done. Mm. Um, seeing as I guess he was, you know, originally the the spy and saboteur, like he's actually a really good spy. I like it. Yeah, so, he, he did a bit in Marvel. I think he did. I have a Lady Bird books, oddly. I think he went on observation missions there, of all places. But yeah, he's not. There was a little bit of an infiltration. Oh, he hit behind a tree. Hey, hey, he like. He came, I said, yeah, Ratchet, I've been spying on you, for I am the spy. And then he never did it again. <laughs> <laughs> but he knows what Ratchet's up to, though. Nothing else. That's important. Like... I mean, Ratchet's usually in the middle, in the thick of stuff, so. And we are on to issue 15. Uh, Brian Rackley again, writer. Artist issues, Anna Malkova, Beth McCoy, Smith, John LaFuente, Josh Burcham. Got a Josh Perez cover. Jake M. Wood on Letters. So this is a, a quite a Megatron centric issue. This is like this a flashback to his uh, to his boyhood war days. Indeed, and uh, a bit of uh, what uh, what caused the uh, Megatron's journey, if you will, into how he's ended up where he's ended up and his thought process through it. Um, so we've got uh, Megatron talking about Exarchon, and I couldn't remember if we'd seen him before. Is this how you pronounce that, Exarchon? Exarchon yeah, seems as, as good, good as anything. Yeah. And, this, and the talk of the Threefold Spark and uh, the Clone Swarm. Yeah, this is the first time. This is this was a huge info drop, seeing um, mm. that he was literally in three bodies, and that one of those bodies really looks like Twin Twist. And yeah, then they had a little chat. Yeah, one of them gets blown up of the three. Doesn't doesn't seem to phase the others particularly, which is interesting. Uh, we see Skywarp potentially for the first time, find out that he was on Exocon's uh, side of things. We see some other bots like uh, Warpath on Megatron's side, and I forget who else was there. Um, uh, Flak and Blitzwing. Blitzwing, that's it, yeah. yeah well, Warpath does my least favourite thing in Transformers comic book writing, where he's written with his vocal tick from the cartoon, as if that works in print as well as it does when an actor is desperately trying to give character number 800 in your cartoon to personality by just having them shout random things. He's like, he just goes, boom, gotcha, that doesn't work. <laughs> Especially if you've not seen the cartoon. Every issue... We get introduced to an entirely new team of characters <laughs> who are all at some particular point in time, all from particular. It's very difficult to keep them all straight. I appreciate a little bit of of character shorthand coming in from Warpath there. Oh, sure. I sort of think it works better performed. So, when in a few years you're reading this comic to your uh, partner, Tom, you you will have a performance aid there that will make you that a little bit better. Uh, something you look forward to. Yeah, yeah, you know, tell me, you know, tell me how to deliver 
Gizmo's voice, and uh, and I'll tell you that Warpath makes things easier for you. I'll tell you what, the only person who I always want to sound like their cartoon self is Soundwave, and he never does, damn it. Or, where he, or when he does, it's only one writer that does it, and then the next writer undoes it, and it always pisses me off. But anyway, Insecticons, always weird, seeing them um, written the way they talk. Mm, yeah, that just takes up too much space, I always find. Soundwave mm, yeah. is pretty close to the sort of cartoon sound patterns in this comic. I can kind of imagine. He doesn't him. talk. A, he does. He talks more than you'd expect. Like his sentences are longer. I'd say. Kind of, he leaves. He leaves out pronouns and articles and things. Just he talks. He's got okay. sort of raw shark kind of just right to the point kind of. See, I'm, I'm, all, I'm the opposite of Marion. I uh, I prefer it when they don't write Soundwave like his cartoon voice because I always find that too limited because that's not a voice you can do much conversation with. Because it, it, nobody talks like that, and if you're imagining it, you can't really imagine a lengthy conversation in that voice. And I think he's a more interesting character than all the other stuff he's got going on, but just sound wave operation ejects oh, now. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad I, I want a moratorium on Operation something in all it, it, forever. Well, see, my possibly my favourite incarnation of Soundwave is Prime, when he doesn't talk at all. Mm, yeah, that's effective. And that will work really well in this comic, where there's, <laughs> there's a lot going on. <laughs> You're going to be just stared at people. Okay, considering how badly every comic for Try to Do It did Bumblebee not talking, I'd read to think what a not talking Soundwave would be like. But I, yeah, I think that could work. He'd be, he'd be like he's in Prime. Watch Prime, sure. I, I have watched Prime. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be interesting to know how he got elected senator, just sort of glaring at people. Yeah. Yeah, that's sure. Also, we find out at some point somewhere near the striker is a senator. Did we know this? Yes. Yeah, because she's always hanging around with the uh, Centicons. That means she's, yeah. either, she's either security forces or a senator, I think. Yeah, I think she's called the senator. You kind of expect her to be security force, don't you? That's the thing you threw me. Mm. <laughs> but yeah. That makes sense. She's an old war hero, for sure. Yeah. We uh, we have a thing. This is the issue where uh, Optimus tells Bumblebee everything they know. Uh, so Bumblebee finds out who this has actually killed Rumble, um, that they, they suspect strongly that it's Quake, and that um, um, Frenzy's probably killed um, Brainstorm. Uh, Bumblebee gets a little bit angry because they haven't told him about Barricade um, and the fact that he was implemented in uh, Rumble's uh, killing. I... Bumblebee seems, bless him, to be just caught in the middle of everything. If, if I, I'm going to disagree with you what you said earlier, Tom. I, I don't think Bumblebee is a very good spy here <laughs> because he's angry about not having been told stuff when that would be basic spy routine that you only have a need to know information. So... He's a rubbish spy, in fact. He can't cope with not being in the loop when that would be an essential part of his job to act within contained units without knowing everything. I mean, he's not a professional spy. This is the first time he's done any spying, but I just feel that the results he gets from being a spy are, are effective. I, I think he's done well. Oh, another thing uh, in Megatron's flashbacks was um, Termagax. Termagax, when she resigned. 
she resigns. She tries. She builds the the theory, doesn't she? She builds the um the movement effectively. Uh, tries to do it peacefully, by the sounds of it, and then they push her out, and she just steps away. Yeah. Uh, and Megatron makes the decision that he will be the one to take it further. Uh, we also find out about Highbrow's Theorem. I quite like this. Uh, linear exponential disjunct change. Uh, Megatron's Theorem. Evolution. Accelerated evolution. Crisis. We have a big showdown with Shockwave. I don't, underst- I, I don't understand Highbrow's Theorem. I don't know what he's you getting don't... at. I don't know what Megatron's getting at. I'm a bit wary of using evolution. A non-technical sense. Well, I think I think the point is that it's flawed, though, isn't it? <laughs> right, okay, yeah. It must be. It must be very difficult to come up with a theory of evolution when you're a constructed race. Well, not that we know how they came to be yet. But also, it's the co- it's the different concept of evolution, isn't it? So you're not talking about biological evolution in this instance. You're talking about a different type of evolution. You're talking about society evolution, or you're talking about. It should be the same thing. You know, it's about, about, about exchange oh, yeah. of information down. Well, the but, this is why Megatron would have to slap you about and rip your arm off, Thomas. <laughs> <laughs> The, the bit that confused me is that there's a page about Barricade accidentally going into the wrong room to sleep in and being thrown out. It doesn't seem to have anything to do with anything. No, this <laughs> is a random door pilot. This is another of, 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 of the wacky teams. In, this is yeah. more, more in 16 of like, it's the it's Slipstream's yeah. team. Although Barricade doesn't turn up in the next issue, so I, that did confuse me a bit, but the rest of them do. <laughs> Yeah, the comedy comedy murderers. But before we get there, I wanna pick I wanna talk about Megatron's theorem some more because effectively what it translates to, and let's not use the word evolution here, but what he's saying <laughs> is if you wanna if if you wanna change society, you can either do it gradually and peacefully, you can do it dodgily, accelerated evolution. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or you can have a full on revolution crisis. Right. And he's trying to very carefully <laughs> avoid... He's trying to do it the middle ground. He's yeah. doing it the dodgy way. Yeah, He's doing it the um, politics of today way. Right. Yeah? So he's doing it in the way that it's happening, but it, everyone's very polite about it and still not pointing fingers. Mm. Yeah? But nobody's, you know, at this stage, accelerated evolution is not tanks on the streets quite yet. Right. But they're they're there if we need them. Just covert fascism. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Which is probably the opposite of what Megatron had in mind, but you know where I'm getting. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. If only he'd surrounded himself by people who could actually listen to his orders and carry them out rather than going around blowing up things. I, I mean, yeah. it's, it's, a, it's one of the things I really like about this series is that nobody's in control mm. and every plan kind of fails, no matter who, which side is carrying it out, which sub-faction. No, it, it's, it's not a matter of competence, it's just a matter of complexity. 
And the mm. thing which keeps getting hammered home here is that, like, almost every conversation is the same thing. It's just, like, nobody knows ex the whole of what's going on. It's quite an overwhelming feeling taken in some, but you can really sort of, that real, like, as a storytelling device, it really sets the mood. Mm. But it is pushing itself towards a direction, I think, where you do start seeing Megatron take that control. Mm. Yes. So yeah. It starts off with things out of control, and then he just basically steps in and goes, okay, I've had enough of this now. Yeah. Uh, I'm gonna be in control of this situation. Um, yeah. Issue 16. Right. Brian Rackley, writer, as always. Beth McQuarrie Smith, Anna Malkova again on art. Joss Burcham, John Lafrentz again on colors. Jacob Wood on letters. And Corin Howell on the cover. Right. And we are on to uh, Team Stream. <laughs> Team Slipstream. <laughs> <laughs> and we've got Astro Chain Driving, Tracer, Flame War, Blackjack, Shadow Striker, and Hyperdrive, and Skystalkers, we're about to find out, in the middle of the desert, uh, where they're all going to find this kind of Titan communication hub place thing, um, in order to communicate with Dun Dun Vigilum, who's up in space. And we'll find out Skystalker is his, uh, his speaker. Um, Titan speakers, is that what they're called here? They're called city speakers, just straight up. Oh, yeah, they are yeah. okay. And the whole thing kicks off, uh, because they have orders to not leave anyone alive. And heroic, heroic headrush, uh, <laughs> thinks he's gotten away, uh, with uh, calling for backup, but alas, he doesn't make it. I just want to. Just want to take a moment here to appreciate Headrush, who gets name checked for those thirty seconds he gets to stay alive. Now yeah. I don't know how to feel about Headrush because I want to realize I want to memorialize him as a as a classic Transformers high than die character, but oh, I don't know. We'll get into this later. But was Headrush a cop? Dun, dun. It, uh, I just wanted, uh, we have a lot to say on uh, that side of things in a bit. I, I feel like he deserved that Austin Powers thing, where they then cut to his family, sitting there ready to tell it, throw him a birthday party, and then we get the whole game. What, the mindless henchman has been killed? Oh, no. But we'll remember your head rush. Before. On the other side of things, we've got um, um, a, a big meeting uh, at the start of this where we see Heretic, Optimus, Nautica, Ironhide, various people coming out of a, of a chat. Actually, we've completely forgotten to mention Sentinel Prime in all of this, haven't we? Oh, um, uh, yeah, Let's talk about him later. He exists. He's there. <laughs> um, he, uh, he has plans for, for things. Anyway, we see Nautica and Freud. Freud uh, trying to talk to Nautica about uh, other races, I believe. Um, and uh, Starscream inserts himself into a non-existent conversation uh, where Road Rage appears to be sort of longingly looking at Nautica and Starscream seems to be trying to tell her, I'd drop that if I were you. She's got too many people after her and she doesn't care about anybody and she's just going to break your heart and don't bother. Um, 
I know. I hate the implication here that I think what we're being told is that Starscream now has his hooks into road rage. I don't want yeah. that to happen. He doesn't do anything for well without reason, does he? No. Must be something else, though. <laughs> oh, and this is where the actual Voina Serta uh, comes in. All right. Um, I like how impressed they are by like these gorillas all tied together with ropes. You're, you're, you, you were loving the gorillas, Tom. This is what <laughs> this character is for you. <laughs> the characters are all very impressed by the gorillas. Like, oh, no. I've only seen these gorillas all tied together twice. <laughs> but now I'm seeing them up close. And there's a sort of bug thing. We still don't know when this is set in relation to uh, to 2020. So maybe this is millions of years ago and those gorillas are the ancestors of man, Tom. Oh, well, that wouldn't... I mean, the skulls wouldn't go that way. That's not... That's... It's, a, it's a quite a massive a pit thing. No, that's not how evolution works. You've, you've, you've been listening to Megatron too much. <laughs> wow. It's a... You're very angry about evolution, Tom. Well, you know, just it just makes me think: is that is Megatron just a dummy, or uh, does... no way? Rockley probably knows what's up because he's got that zoology podcast I haven't listened to yet. Yeah. No, I mean, he could be completely wrong on it, though. You never know. You'll listen to it and you'll be very angry. Oh no, <laughs> Rockley! Uh. Oh no, we're gonna get uh, we're gonna get him on the podcast, Tom, and you're gonna have a massive argument with him about yes. biology. Uh, yes. <laughs> All he'll, all he'll love you was everyone who's been on the podcasters. <laughs> oh, no. But uh, what, what I like here is uh, Pipes. Chunky Pipes. He's back. Yeah, he, Pipes. I'm he looks like him. he ain't taking no shit. Chunky Pipes, we've got a Chunky Huffer. Oh, bless him. So if, if he could come back, Headrush will be back one day as well. God, oh. he'll be like the main character in like a, car- like a Transformers cartoon in 2040, won't he? Like Headrush and Bumblebee, uh, stars. We've got Heretech here. Heretech can become a a character with lines and like important stuff to do as well. Heretech is pretty instrumental in in what is going to happen by. Oh, yeah, he betrays the uh, workings of the council to Megatron. We find out that he's a declinist. Is Is this a term that's been thrown around before? Because it's mentioned. Three times. That's new. I, like I think. in every in every subsequent issue, we suddenly find out about the declinists. Interesting, interesting. Yes, Heretic with his massive matrix head. <laughs> his name doesn't quite fit. Is he? He's supposed to be like the Pope. Uh, his name is a heretic. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's just a bling. He's like uh, the Transformers, Mister T. Wearing all that gold. <laughs> yeah, he's kind of got his own sort of styling. Isn't the thing that his Matrix is supposed to be upside down as well? He's supposed to be like a Satanist, isn't he? Is he? Oh, gosh. And he still got elected into office. So it's some dodgy part. <laughs> what a society. At least our politicians don't openly admit to it, made a stupid dodgy. We don't go, I am evil. Here's my evil medallion. What does Heretic turn into? Does he have any kibble or anything? I'd like to think he turns into a bird. Just that's just yeah, personal. I just feel like he should turn into a big yeah, bird. Yeah, you, you can't really tell. Does he? Does he not have a cape? Did I imagine that? Ooh. Uh, there's no cape here. I don't know if he's just took it off though. No, maybe. I, I thought maybe he had one in old IDW. Oh no, no, there's no cape. It'd be good if he was like double dealer and just turned into a different character. I just realised I'm flicking through. Heretech is on the ported characters. Page as well. 
of who stars of his issues. So Her- Heretic has arrived. Wow. So that. it's, uh, there's hope for Head Rush yet. Red Alert doesn't get that kind of treatment. Hmm. Oh, yeah, Starscream. We forgot about Starscream in this issue. So we find out what Starscream is all about. Starscream is, I'm going to hold back, gather all the information, and then figure out whose side I'm on. Yeah. That's good. But then he also seems to have some kind of old working relationship with Megatron. We never know each other. Yeah, yeah they're, they're fairly cordial here, which is good, but they're not scared straight in for that. I'm a dick, you're a dick. We're going to be dicks to each other, and yet somehow still work together thing. Ah, oh, I like it when they're married. That's that's not marriage, Tom. I don't know why. Don't know how many times you've been married, Stuart. What was that? What there was? What a throwaway line about? Was it Soundwave and Shockwave? About that was a that was one of those relationships. Oh, I thought that was Starscream um, and Soundwave. Starscream. Oh, was it Starscream and Soundwave? Oh, maybe it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. God, Starscream's dated everybody in this continuity. Oh. Actually, speaking of Starscream, I did think of a previous issue. The uh, the beating up Shockwave bit was very uh, spotlight. Uh, Megatron. Megatron. It was very uh, like how he treats Starscream there. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'm kind of instructive about it. Um, yeah, I wonder how many times Megatron's done that. I guess he was a soldier. Oh. I guess he had to rough up people. This seems like the f- yeah. I think that's probably right. Although this seemed like the first time he'd done it to Shockwave. Right. It did feel like they missed a trick. That well, maybe this would have been a bit too much uh, old IDW. But if you're gonna damage him that much, have him after that be when he gets a good arm, and or some there's other change in his design afterwards, rather than having him just apply Shockwave from the off. If you're then gonna end up ripping bits off him in a big fight. Uh, I don't know. I'm. I kind of don't like. I don't really like the, the trope of like I got beaten up and now I'm back even more powerful than before. I like. I prefer it when they they can just change their bodies whenever they want. Okay, and we're on issue seventeen. Oh, I love issue seventeen. Wow. Brian Reckley, writer. Anna Marco and Beth McQuarrie Smith again. Art Channel Fulente and John Paul Bove in this one colors. Uh, we've got. Jake M. Wood and Neil Uyatake on letters. And Livio cover. And also a Brendan Cahill cover and a Marcello Maggio cover. Wow. Old school. And we find out what's exactly going on with that conversation with Vigilum. Mm. There's a great big, like, here are the Titans and what do they do? Yeah, so we start off on the Winged Moon and we've got Wheeljack. Uh, doing bits with his crew, whose names I shall now read out. <laughs> Lancer, Huffer, and Gears. Um, Cosmos turns up to tell them that we've got a Titan incoming, and everyone's like, is it Lodestar? Because she's the only one who shouldn't be awake. And they're like, nope, definitely not Lodestar, somebody else. And uh, like, okay, best contact Lightbright, uh, Lodestar City Speaker, and see whether she can help out. Um, meanwhile, sorry, excuse me, we flash to the Titan Net primary hub, where we've got Blaster, Wavelength, and Gizmo uh, monitoring. 
But what voice do you want to give Gizmo, Tom? As you, after you, as you threw this challenge well, at yourself I, I, earlier. I, I think he's got kind of like a, he's got a sort of, hey, don't, don't, don't give me so much trouble, kind of. Oh, please, Mr. Blaster, I don't want to do Is that it? right now. It's so That's difficult. That's a bit Woody Allen. Yeah, yeah, I'm not Jerry Lewis, so, you know. Uh, all the creepy men. <laughs> yeah, Gizmo, you don't want to be alone in a room alone with Gizmo. Gosh, he sounds awful. Yeah. Right. Somewhere in there, they uh, they announced that uh, all Titans seem to go on silent, or they can't reach them, or their wavelengths. Something's going on with them. The only one who seems to be um, functional is um, uh, Vigilant and Lodestar, because Lodestar had not plugged in. Uh, because when uh, they arrived for Sentinel Prime, um, she and Lightbright just stayed there, stayed where they were, basically. But because Lightbright is going to a disco. Lightbright's doing some dancing because she's got the house to herself. She's like, I'm gonna party. I am. I am um, impressed at how quickly I kind of like the characters in this whole series. You know, it doesn't really take much. It's just like, oh wow, yeah, Lightbright. I'm into Lightbright now. <laughs> And it's good to have a, have a music scene where, because of the nebulous time setting, it can't spell out which is listening to the sort of music middle-aged British guys like. Which is always my bugbear in the older, in the older comic. She's not going, yeah, let's put some Morrissey on, man, and get down and boogie. This is the music I wish my son would listen to. But not light bright. Nope. She's <laughs> the wrong person. So Lord Star has tried to have a chat with Vigilum. Um, finds out that Vigilum is is uh, quoting Codexa, and uh, they surmise that that's not a good thing. Um, Vigilum is all about the old ways, how the Titans are Cybertron, how where a Titan is, Cybertron is, how by taking the Titans out to the rest of the universe, Cybertron is out to the rest of the universe. Basically, colonialism is good. I think is the message here that we're trying to convey. Uh, and then Vigilum starts quoting various uh, um, uh, Titan names, uh, waypoints, and how he fought off the the Zorian Empire, Zorial Empire, Chella and Tempo and others who've done glorious deeds. Tempo in the night, even. Tempo in the night. Mm. And Chella did something on Cybertron, I can't remember. And uh, a battle ensues, uh, which uh, doesn't go very well for Lodestar, who's so upset from the beginning that she doesn't stand a chance, really, because uh, Vigilum is a war machine. Um, so Lodestar um, is damaged, and Vigilum carries on on his way to the Winged Moon. Uh-oh. He's got a mission. Oh, I like got I, a mission. I, I like this fight. So much. I mean, I really, really, really like this issue. I'm just such a sucker for like, um, a character with a really clever horse, which is Light Bright, and she's got this great big city horse who's like, "Hey, let's go stop this other giant city war machine colony thing." Um, I like their, I like their relationship with each other. I like their sort of grim determination. I like how creepy Vigilum is, just sort of. I, I don't know, I guess he's under some sort of mind control from Shockwave or Mindwipe or something. He's just rattling off a Wikipedia article or, you know, just some <laughs> just some noise. But that noise also tells us a lot of interesting backstory that we'd like to hear. 
Uh, and I like how it nails all the things that John Barber spent like five years trying to articulate in a sort of stammering, freewheeling way in a couple of pages. Yep. Which we are the this we have a, this is a society that is the recipient of benefits from centuries of bloodshed, and we have emotions about that. We got it. Full on action mode. Vigilum starts destroying the tether. We are on the moon. So for those who don't remember, the tether is just like this massive elevator that connects Cybertron to the wing moon. And as we find out exactly what's going on in the next issue, uh, which is issue 18, Brian Rackley, writer again. Uh, Beth McCoy, Smith, and Umi Miyao on art. Mm. Josh Birch among colors. Omimiya has also done the main cover, and J.K.M. Wood in letters, and we find out exactly what's going on. So Vigilum has been, uh, he's not been destroying the uh, tether on the moon, he's been disconnecting the tether from the moon, which means this whole thing is now crashing onto Cybertron and destroying everything. Uh, and underneath, somewhere in the rubble, is RC and Greenlight talking about RC's uh, mentee, uh, Gorge. Gage, that sounds better, thank you. Um, and what they're going to do, and uh, Greenlight is trying to convince RC that they need to get off the planet because things are getting worse. And uh, they have a chance to get off the planet if they board a reversionist ship. And RC is like, oh, come on, I'm not getting on a spaceship with all those idiots. And Greenlight is like, well, I, I, I'm not with them either, but I think we should probably go. Anyway, before they have a chance to do much about that, all hell breaks loose. Um, that conversation doesn't reach its, uh, its conclusion because their hand is forced because the whole Cybertron's on fire. RC gets very angry about, with a group of looters, crosses path with Strongarm and Bumper, and then Inferno on uh, red alert as they rush to get to the ship before it leaves uh, and uh, then find out that everybody's being stopped from getting off the planet. RC tries to beat them to death. And is that Tailgate? Yeah, I thought. He's got red arms, but he's yeah. drawn very much like Tailgate. Like a big bus. Yes, isn't it? Tailgate. But, yeah. Anyway, Greenlight and Gage manage to make it on the ship, and RC does well just barely. Sure and that of. is the end of our arc. Um, Umi Miyayu. Uh, yep. Have we seen them before? She is uh, known as Coralus online. Okay. She has been a fan artist for a long time. Oh. Uh, and uh, Drift stands will definitely know her. She draws a lot of Drift. Um, I think she's done a cover before. I don't think she's done interiors before. Okay. Uh, yeah, but I looked her up on Wiki. Yep, they had done a cover uh, uh, previously. So it's basically the same sort of route that uh, Adam Alcova and Beth McGuire Smith have come up through the. Uh, sort of online fan art and uh, making the Drift fans happy. Okay, yeah, the art here is really nice. Um, mm. Okay, phew, so we're all caught up. Yeah, I, I just realised we were talking about the Tether, how you could sort of tell Brian Rookley's age for that idea, the sort of a big physical elevator thing up to the planet, rather than sort of like broadcast power, because that's a very Arthur C. Clarke 1970s 
sort of ready to be a formative science, ready to do this formative science science fiction we did as a kid sort of idea. Arthur Clarke came did. came up with the idea of a space elevator, didn't he? Idea, so nineteen seventy nine. That book no, was. No, still, I think they still talk about them, Stuart. It's still an idea. There's there's a lot of talk about um, putting a space elevator on the moon, dropping down a space elevator from Phobos down to the surface of Mars. Um, yeah, there's they're, they're, they're still in consideration. Wow, you you know your space elevators. I want one. Yeah, yeah, we should get one. Yeah, let's get one. We. The trick is, if you have a space elevator, you shouldn't also have spaceship-sized people with very hackable minds who could maybe rip it down. Mm-hmm. Mm. Uh, Easy hacked. Easy hacked. Well, it's, it's a C-speaker, isn't it? Their, their the conversation seems to... Easy, the conversation seems to imply that he had views himself. Or maybe he was led to those views. I wasn't entirely clear. Um, maybe I'm, I'm, I'm consulting knowledge here from issue 19, the forbidden issue. Ah, uh, um, okay. Something's definitely up with vigilance. Something's definitely... Mm. Something that hyperdrive is not cool Okay. With. Okay, well, if, if you've got future knowledge, I cannot dispute. Future knowledge. Um... Right, so how do we feel about the current crop of mainline IDW Transformers comics? I liked this. Um, I like it. The writing's very good. The writing is very, very good. I don't know how the hell non-Transformers fans follow it. And I think I said this last time we did the review. But we are now 18 issues in this series, and we are still getting whole lists of name drops in every single issue. <laughs> the name drops. I'm very fond of the name drops. But holy it's hell. his big fancy novel writing background, isn't it? Where you are. I don't know if his actual fancy books are like this, because I've not read them, but it feels like the sort of thing he would do in a 1,000-page fancy novel where you have that list of characters at the start. Uh, I, I mean, if there's one thing I would I would say is it's a well-written book so far. I don't know if we have any... Uh, do we have any characters that we can get behind? Not that... I don't mean that the characters are unlikable, but have we built enough of a relationship with anybody to set, to to feel, to be emotionally invested in this? I'd say Nautica and Bumblebee. And that's about it. Because they've had more, a lot, like, we've had more, like, insight into their thoughts, maybe, because Nautica hasn't been in that many issues. No, I, yeah, I mean, I think I, I said this in the last episode, but I feel like Nautica should be the main character, just because, yeah, in a series that has so many characters, it's got very few characters. Yeah, I don't know what it is about. I think she's just, like, quite interesting and... Like, yeah, just well, I want to say drawn, but I mean... Mm. Um, as a, a character, yeah. Yeah. yeah mm. Bumblebee's easy to get behind, but then so much of the plot has resulted in us until the sort of penny drops. I, mean, I don't think it was very artfully concealed, but you're not sure of Bumblebee's motives for joining the Ascenticon until relatively late on, and that kind of hampers his identification. You're mm-hmm. not privy to all of his information. It's like June, where it just changes viewpoint so often. 
you just don't have any time with anybody in particular. Mm. Um, but thanks to you, Tom, I now know what Gizmo's character is. Right? <laughs> <laughs> You're kind of a malignant. Like, I'm, I'm bad with No, p- please stop. Gonna... <laughs> Gizmo, he's under that table. How about you, Shia? Do you have any characters that you feel that you've got an emotional connection uh, to yet? Not, not in the way that perhaps we did in the peak. I don't know. I suppose nearly two years in, it was a bit... No, is this two, how long has it actually been since this comic started? I was forgetting, but it's, uh, it was twice a month to begin with, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Uh, over a year in. Yeah. It's uh, probably a fair at this point to compare it to the old days, but no, not that level of connection we had with some of the older characters pretty quickly. Uh, but yeah, I like Nautica. I liked Springer coming in and being a jolly kind of dick. <laughs> that, that was quite fun. Him and Sideswipe had a nice little bit. I'd like to see more of him. Hopefully he'll pull out his tie pants at some point. I reveal he is the universal, uh, multi-universal Springer on his, <laughs> on his great mission of... <laughs> Oh, time pants. I thought you said tight pants. <laughs> no, tight pants. Well, oh, it could be okay, tight as well. Yeah, if maybe you... he will put on his tight pants. I mean, <laughs> that, that's, that's, legit. that's fine. Maybe Overlord's trousers will pop up. Yeah. <laughs> God, that's going to be the final villain in this series, isn't it? <laughs> uh, Nightbeat turned up in the issue 13. Oh, I didn't like yeah, that. Yeah, sh- shooting. Well, I, I was talking about stuff that hasn't aged so well since. These issues let's were released in a minute. Let's, let's talk about the elephant in the room. I'm ready. There's an elephant in the room. <laughs> oh, it's disguised as uh, Ironhide. Was Ironhide the elephant? Ah, uh, yeah, beast. Well, let's not go deep. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how it was for you two. Uh, I also have these issues, all except AC, which ended up being the most problematic for me. Maybe that's because I hadn't read it before. Uh, but the rest I've read as they came out. Uh, <laughs> that merry time before three months ago, before all this started. And uh, I think reading them all in one go made it flow better, definitely, because there were quite long gaps between some of the issues originally. And uh, some I didn't get straight away because of a bloody comicsology price rise. So there was an even longer gap while I waited for the costs to go down. So reading it all in one go now was better. But I think real life has rather drastically overtaken the events. A lot of what these comics are trying to do with the people we know are going to be the main villains of this series, who are going to be like this... Unless Ruckley's going to do something really, really different, they're going to be like the big, bastard, genocidal warmongers being the put-upon underclass who start rioting against societal oppression. Doesn't read so well now. Uh, maybe it was a particularly great look before, because I think uh, some people were saying maybe that that was something that needed a fresher take before the series even started. But definitely now that is feeling more uncomfortable. And especially issue 18, when this big disaster happens in the city and characters start looting and they all get shot by the Autobot State Police or uh, taken out by military cop Arcee, who it's all straight up is a, a soldier going in there. Like, and assassin. N- none of that. None of that feels so good, because I don't think we're supposed to be on the side of the looters in this scenario, and they are 
looting in the traditional cliche sense of just going in to grab stuff the second a disaster happens rather than being any particular deeper meaning to their, to their scene. And obviously no one involved in this comic would have known how that was going to look. And I know from Tom's face, I think he's going to have a different take on that scene in a minute. So I'll, I'll let him speak in a second. But I think well, however you take it, if this issue had been the one, the first one to be affected by lockdown and was going to be the one coming out in a few weeks, it would not be coming out. They would delay it again to either change it or do something with it. Uh, they would not put out a comic with these looting scenes out now. That's about. And I know Tom has a different take on those looting scenes, but whether you think they're well betrayed or sympathetic, it wouldn't be happening. I have this issue add. with a three months later. Yeah. Add, Tom, add. Okay. Well, yeah, I, I, I agree. The stuff, I mean, it's. It's pretty uncomfortable when you have something where cops and soldiers are your main characters. That's kind of other. That's kind of evergreen. I mean, we've been here before. You know, in the in the old IDW series, in kind of everything really, there's there has been this tension. As soon as Optimus was introduced as a policeman, you've got this real kind of struggle to reconcile that with. Uh, an actual heroic character, for one of a better phrase, and it's something that Barbara's really, 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 really struggled with um, in the Optimus Prime series. And I don't think he, you know, like a lot of Barbara, I did. I don't think completely successfully resolved, but uh, yeah, that's always been part of it. And you know, this conversation has been had before about how useful it is as an idea to have the Decepticons being a, a sympathetic anti-fascist movement that then becomes fat. Like that, that's, um, that's like a French revolution sort of story, which is a little dicier today where you kind of feel that, well, no matter what comes of it, maybe some anti-fascist movement is, is sort of what we need at the moment. Um, and then to portray these people as future genocidal maniacs is dispiriting and maybe opposite to the feeling you kind of want to convey with that. So yeah, I I feel that was the case before the, the dreaded year 2020. I don't know, I kind of feel that Ruckley is the kind of person who understands the problem there and the problem with the narrative we're feeling of like a lot of the characters seem unsympathetic and difficult to identify with is because that shifting viewpoint. Like, oh, how does a cop feel about this? How does a soldier feel about this? How does uh, an out-of-work construction worker feel about that? That's kind of been the series so far without really committing to a, I don't know, a moral point of view, which is maybe good, maybe bad, but I don't feel that... Um, the terrible things that have happened in 2020 are really there. I will say the point where Chromia literally says, light them up, just like that one of the horrible police brutality videos you may have seen recently. Um, that that one really stuck with me. And like Beach um, kicking down doors. I didn't like that because I feel like I quite like Night Beat and I feel like he's a gentle soul who would not be 
a cop. Just he's at one places. good cop, everyone knows. Yeah. <laughs> that your aunt brings up on Facebook. I know a good cop. So. Good cop because he's not a cop anymore. Um, yeah. Yeah, I feel I feel this is, a, this is a larger problem and not terribly specific to... I've never felt um, that the Autobots, as portrayed in... Well, they're always portrayed differently in different. So, as portrayed in IW, let's say, um, previous continuity, I'm I'm not sure anyone would say that they were the good guys, um, even historically. And there is this this sort of cutoff, isn't there? So you've got some characters who were the the old really bad guys, uh, from on the Autobot side, quote unquote, and then you've got you know Optimus Prime comes in and it's like, oh no, this is all wrong. We should change it, and then does all the similar same bad things again. So, I, and that's always been the case for Transformers, though, hasn't it? I mean, th- th- there's no such thing as a pure soul in the Transformers universe. <laughs> I know. I've been reading the Japanese manga about it's nothing but pure souls doing things like. <laughs> Feeding animals in zoos and petting them on the heads and eat. But uh, oh yeah, it's, you're, you're both absolutely right. But this is not uh, the sort of ambiguous both sides thing is not a new thing. But I'm not sure the current mood is for both sides isms at the moment. But it's uh, again that's beyond the control of, of anyone involved in the comic. Nobody. I'm sure I was thinking this could wind up feeling so relevant at the moment. And it'll be interesting to see what happens when we get to issues that uh, would have been put together after now. Uh, Whether there are, it feels like, certain aspects are pulled away from. Because I can't imagine IDW themselves, they'd be pretty bold to keep firmly on this track in the, the current environment, but uh, I, I guess I, we'll see. I, I think it's important what they're doing because I don't think, I think even at the start, before 2020, um, a lot of what this comic addresses uh, are things that are happening. Just because there was no rioting on the streets a month ago, it doesn't mean that any of the other issues uh, and themes that the this book picks up on weren't there. Um, and I mean, Barbara tried to do it, like you said, Tom, like he was trying to address it in different ways. He was picking out different issues. Uh, Roberts was trying to pick out different types of issues. Um, so I think the, uh, Transformers has been deeply political for years now. Um, and I think this book is complex enough to not be both siding. I don't think it is both siding. I think it is, it's showing you that there is a complexity to how these things start. Um, but ultimately, I think we are meant to be on Megatron's side. Mm-hmm. At least that's my take on it, uh, because what we're seeing is a whole society that's being suppressed uh, by people because of what they claim are scarce resources, but we don't even know for sure that that's true at mm-hmm. this point. So what we see is, is population suppression and control, and that population saying, "Well, okay, we've had enough now." Yeah. So I'm I'm not sure that the Decepticons are painted as the bad guys. 
Well, or the Sentinels as well. Yeah, it seems our actual villains are like Sentinel Prime and Shockwave. Yeah. And they're two, they're like, they are both opportunists. They are both inheritors of somebody else's cause, either Exarchon or Nominus. And yeah, they're both cynically using, you know, furthering that cause to an extreme to fit their own agenda. How do we feel about Shockwave being yet again? <laughs> The schemer of everything. <laughs> I like that he's a bit crap. I mean, everybody's a bit crap in this. And I, I appreciate that. Um, I watched Devs recently, and Devs has mm. this really cool point of style where every kind of fight scene is really awkward and pathetic. And there's there's a bit of that in 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 this run of Transformers. Like the fights are not like cool ballets. They're just these like dirty, kind of scrabbly, kind of messy rucks that no one looks good doing. And the same with the political machinations. Like Shockwave is very quickly <laughs> cut, cut down. Well, the way he's portrayed in the Galaxy comics as like classic, <laughs> kind of ah, I'm pulling the strings. Like he's just kind of an idiot. He's just a grandiose guy who just relishes in knowing a lot of bad dudes who are poor and can make them do stuff like he's sort of sadistic he's he's small-minded in a way that is credible in a villain so yeah i mean it doesn't this shockwave brings a lot of baggage with him as a character and i feel that maybe it would have been better if he was wearing a different disguise but i quite like the shockwave no no not not shockwave in disguise again now i don't want to <laughs> <laughs> Coming in wearing a, a Mission Impossible style mask and a slip it off. Hachette yeah. <laughs> about those issues now with the, the old IDW and that's just got me rolling my eyes a bit. But uh, I should, I want to say that he's not quite that pathetic though, Shockwave, because Megatron does have to like have was it five or six big vials of energon injected straight into him before he goes off to sea. Shockwave, but that's pretty much the only reason I think he does beat him so easily. So there's that implication there. You've got, you've got to take precautions with Shockwave. You can't just uh, roll up and slap him about. Yeah, he did have six shots in uh, his head of uh, security there, or whatever he was called, and uh, who was the other one? Slipstream, I think. So, the, yeah. And uh, Megatron does say that uh, the reason why, because he gets shot and nothing happens, is because uh, Shockwave has no energon, really. Hmm. It's it, yeah, it's it's interesting. Yeah, I'm I'm just very still very tired of Shockwave generally, but I get that he has a toy and <laughs> he must be featured. Yeah, the toy stuff's hectic. For all the characters that that this comic keeps introducing. There's very clearly uh, um, a pressure, a mandate, or whatever to to keep bringing in the toys and to have them have their their spotlights. Um, it's good that the setup allows for that to happen. It's not like we're all on the ship and everybody knows each other. I like that some yeah. characters kind of know who someone is, and some of them are just nobodies. Like who the hell is Springer? Shut up. Yeah, I guess we're gonna we're go to the end of sort of a, a, a prequel in inverted commas period, because we're, we're going to be starting to get in, into the actual Earthrise toys where presumably the thing is oh, geez, yeah. they're on Earth <laughs> so we'll be uh, heading our way sooner rather than later I would imagine 
Yeah, I'm genuinely curious to see how this is this moves into an Earth situation. Gorillas, Tob. Gorillas. Oh, yeah. That'll be the twist. So tell it either. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's a kind of a moment in the Valentine special when they're talking about uh, establishing contact with a mammalian pre-industrial race, and I, I, you know, when I was reading that for the first time, I kind of thought that would oh maybe this first contact with Earth, it'll be a nice low-key take me to your leader kind of vibe. Um, no, there are a planet of raccoons with a bunch of kaiju in their basement. Subbed up the Valentine's issue as well. Hey, I like the Valentine's issue. That was seven I'm not, issue. I'm not, I'm not being glib to be dismissive. I... Uh, you've not read that one, though, yet, have you, Marion? Uh, I haven't so yet, no. We'll, we'll, we'll save it. a fuller talk about that for another time. Oh, okay. Now, I had a whole I had a whole thing about time units based on the Valentine's t-shirt to break up. <laughs> I've been taking note of how... I'm trying to figure out how long a cycle is, and I'm not happy. <gasps> Oh, interesting. <laughs> That's what the viewers want. Maybe we can do another ep- uh, another uh, yeah episode just on the Valentine's issue, just so you can get it off your chest. Yeah. Just talk about time, oh, you know. Boy. <laughs> Done my sums. Mm. Oh, I forgot to mention Cyclonus in all of this. Yeah. He doesn't have a a big role in uh in this particular arc, but he is there. Oh, he's like yeah, a, pro- a he's a proper protagonist. I'd put him in with Bumblebee, mm. Nautica, and Cyclonus. Yeah, yeah, he's he's really just here to remind you that he exists and he has a thing that will presumably pay off. Down the line, he doesn't really do anything else. No, he's a unique perspective because he's a, mm. he's our he's our only war veteran who we get into kind of who we get into their head. Maybe Megatron as well. But he's our first perspective on like the war. And he's a really good sort of walking example of like, oh, everyone's really messed up because of this. And it's been sort of forgotten and he's kind of abandoned, whether voluntarily or not. And people are really sympathetic to him, which I really like. Um, people treat him with a lot of respect and sensitivity. Mm-hmm. Some sort of hero in their eyes, or at least someone who is frail and vulnerable and needs support. And he had a he had a he had a husband of some sort, a paragon or whoever. Do we have any regular people in this book? Everybody seems to be a senator, a spy, ex-military, ex-assassins, ex-war vets. Mm-hmm. I guess that was Rubble's job. Hmm. Um, Greenlight. Um, she not ex anything. No, Greenlight is not ex anyone. Arguably, people like Gears. Cosmo. Is it just that we don't? They're few and far between. I take your point. Yeah, they're yeah. not. They're not. They don't get the spotlight. It's just it's it, it's hard sometimes to like if you're talking about like what what's this book trying to tell us kind of thing. It's hard to know. You know, you're always thinking. So, what's the impact on the people mm. <laughs> about everything that's going? It's like, but who are the people? We haven't seen any people. Yeah, the closest we get to that is RC and Greenlight, and RC is like a superhero. I think that that's that's yeah. I, I keep going to make a comparison. I'm never sure if it's fair or not. Uh, but that is uh, uh, fair to make comparisons at this point. I mean, uh, but that's something I think Barber and Roberts uh, did do better because they had the pubs in their comics with the ordinary people went to get pissed, and there was uh, a more 
from a lower ranks looking up perspective in a lot of their stuff that uh but I've encountered that, especially the pre-war stuff, where obviously when it was about let's focus on sort of working class police officers trying to work out what the hell's going on. Hmm. Uh, not even just like especially elite police officers, just guys that have a local station going, what, what is happening hmm. with all this stuff? Uh, so yeah, I think that angle is missing uh, a bit from here, definitely, in terms of uh, what is the wider perspective. Because that's one thing we know now, definitely real world, is that what our politicians think is happening and what we would like to be happening and not remotely the same thing. It's sort of more of a spy story than any other genre. Just in that you're privy to all these intrigues and all these involved parties. You're in a sort of a different world from the person on the street. Yeah, yeah, I think you've put your finger on it there, Eric. You see, I was thinking it's more, uh, again, this fancy novel background, it's very court intrigue style stuff. It's, you can imagine Elizabethan sprawling conspiracy thriller style thing about all the court sands oh. trying to work out what they're doing. Um, have you have, have either of you watched Castlevania? Oh, I haven't, It's no. a Netflix one. Yeah. No. Um, it's very good. It's written by Warren Ellis, comics writer, same age as Ruckley as, as, as it happens. Uh, he's from Essex rather than Scotland. But um, yeah, that's very much written as like a court drama, like a, a court intrigue kind of thing. And it has the same problem in it. And like talking about all these grand things, like, ah, oh, is, 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 is the world doomed? Is the world saved? But yeah, you don't have anyone who is the world. Everyone is got. Everyone is a superhero. Uh, firstly, I'm impressed you know the comparative age of every comic book writer, Tom. Oh That's... boy, yeah. <laughs> got my little book. <laughs> How long is the cycle? How old is Warren Ellis? It's all here. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm tempted to test you now with a straight names out. Maybe that might be the special podcast. <laughs> uh... I've got a question. I've got a question that that is so far unanswered, but I feel has been asked by the comics. Shockwave, was he on the side of Exarchon? And he seemed, I think uh, Wiki pointed out, he looks like he's got bits of Exarchon's body in his lab. Oh, does he? Well, he's doing lab. weird experiments on it. I think that's what I read on the, uh, the Wiki earlier when I was looking through in case there was any interesting facts cheating that cheating, I missed. Stuart. Might as well just have Chris on here. <laughs> uh, I was going to say, uh, in terms of the different perspectives thing, that's where the Galaxies book should help. Because that's... Uh, I suppose the Constructicons were special in inverted commas, but we also got Cliffjumper. Uh, yeah, who's an ordinary guy. Yeah. We're getting more green light. Yeah. Uh, I, I know we're getting Ultra Magnus, who is a special general guy, but who knows who's going to be joining him in that comic. So uh, that's that's where we could get the, uh, the a wider world view, I suppose. If, if they do it properly. Yeah, we kind of uh, need that forward. in this comic, though. Oh, yeah, yeah, as well. But, uh, like, Chromium and Prowl are not, yeah, they're too, they're too involved. Prowl's also a bit of a... bit of a. Look at him, Tom. Cliffjumper's just an ordinary guy with his big, massive gun. This is, just for the audience, Stuart is holding up <laughs> his, new, his new... He's very proud of his Earthrise Cliffjumper toy. Um, I kind of want one, too. 
Um, but I feel if I got a cliff jumper, I'd also need a Deathsaurus, and I'm not certain there's going to still be Transformers toys or even Transformers comics. Are we going to get? Are we going to get more Transformers comics? I feel that maybe, maybe it's all over. Do you think they're going to stop at issue nineteen? Maybe. Uh, issue twenty is solicited for later this month now, but of course you never know what the hell's yeah. going to happen. And I know. For this country, at least, DC Comics are having trouble getting going again through some issue with Diamond or their own new they've, distributor or something yeah, like that. Yeah, they pulled out of Diamond altogether, which is good, actually. So, uh, I guess I guess you're still going to buy them digitally, but if you want to buy a physical DC comic, you're going to struggle, because apparently uh, whoever they're going to use it said big different import rates or something like that is going to make them a lot more expensive. But yeah, there's a lot of issues facing the whole entertainment issue industry generally of course and i guess we can never be entirely sure where things are gonna go but uh we could keep it going with some fanfic though if it stops i could list a lot of names yeah wow man let me list them right now um clive clive head head rush head rush that's a good one rush rush head rashid rashid transformer well, we've got at least... See, it's not as easy as it looks. We should give Briar Rookley... Well, I'm doing credit. great. I'm doing great here. This is... You've managed three. <laughs> one of which was a Briar Rookley one anyway. It was underutilised. But, uh, yeah, I hope it does carry on. It would be nice if Comixology dropped the price a bit. <laughs> so that I would be compelled to buy it on day of release rather than a few weeks later. Yeah, I think it's in a good, reasonably solid place, even with it... To me, reading a bit odd in the current climate. I seem to say the same thing every podcast, which is probably quite annoying. But yes, I'm still liking this comic uh, a fair bit. <laughs> good. Good. Some good mild praise. Uh, that's why I say the same thing every time, Tom, to make you laugh. <laughs> a qualified yes. I would like to because I feel we touched on this a little bit earlier, but I'd like to dive into it a bit more, on Megatron's plan uh-huh. and what the Ascenticons are. Have we talked about this before? I, I don't believe so, Tom. So hit, hit us up with your smiling, juicing theory. Okay. All right. So there's something kind of revealing here in one of these issues we're talking about when Sentinel Prime says that he's, he's, he's coming out against the Ascenticons and Optimus is upset because he should have just been going against the Rise, although Optimus is wrong because he doesn't know about Shockwave. Oh dear. But, you know, Sentinel's saying that the Ascenticons are giving you all these ridiculous promises about infinite um, energon, infinite space. You know, you can have what you like. To me, on this reread, it feels like what the Ascenticons are against is essentially austerity. And I just want to know, is there anything explicitly in this which says that the Ascenticons want to become the new empire the way that used to be, the what Codexa is talking about, which went so badly, and which Nonimus Prime kind of really put a stop to? Having not read 19, and you say that there is more information on that, I'd say just from what Vigil I'm saying, hmm. I'd say yes. 
I think Megatron does say it as well. I mean, there is this talk about um, becoming their best selves, isn't there? Yeah. Um, but does that necessarily mean expanding? I'd say I don't think I've heard Megatron say that. Uh, but from what Vigilum is saying, I'd say that is. I mean, I think I think Ruckley has described Megatron as an expansionist off the page. But does mm. that mean in this universe expanding into someone else's stuff? Codexa mm. writes about how frightening they were and how, yeah, how devastating they were to the to their neighbors. But I just we don't know what space looks like. Hmm. Well, it it has been very careful set up that they are more worried about their neighbors, uh, another species than they've been in previous continuities at the start. I mean, they they are worried about pissing off those gorillas, Tom. They're yeah, like, we've got to treat this yeah, properly, or they'll send their gorillas after us. The gorilla we... tied to a squid, tied to a bug. <laughs> so it's. Uh, but then I suppose if there's going to be a big time jump at some point, there's, there's time for Megatron to build up sources, I suppose. Oh, and uh, I hope we don't have a time jump. I hate, I hate the, I hate the Transformers time jump. I think if we go to Earth, it should be just like next week on Earth. I, I think that'll be the twist. That'll be the clever. Ha! We've subverted our expectations because there is no indication of time frame at all at this point. So at the end of one issue, they can do the, ha ha ha, here are the humans. Oh, right. They've been with us the whole they've time. Been... They're in like yeah. season three of the G1 thing where they're like wearing jumpsuits and got hoverboards. Yeah, come on. We should do that. Well, I was I was thinking humans in space. They'll just uh, like oh. crash onto a planet. It'll be 2020. And it'll be 2020 all along. Guess... Oh, but uh, yeah, they can do that as well. I guess the Geomotus plot line says that Cybertron's going to become inhabitable, right? That's what we're being told there. Because geezers, geezers are bad news. Yeah. yeah. That is sort of a, a general law thing as well, isn't it? It becomes an inhabitable. And uh, if a comic has seemed to be meeting a lot of a big sort of... Sort of uh, is it still called the line? I'm not sure. It's. Uh, I think that was only ever a wiki thing. Yeah, the... The overall mythology major beats that they seem to have logged pretty much since uh, since the original IDW introduced a lot of them, actually. actually uh, they, they even mentioned the 13 in issue 17. That, um, I don't know how I feel about that. Uh, so we well, definitely mined out the 13 as a concept. That's why we'll always suspect Revenge of the Fallen for just going, why are there 13 of them? Let's just have seven. <laughs> That's much better. Listen, if you want to pay for the extra rendering time for those five, be my guest. But <laughs> we, We've paid Michael York to do one of the voices. That's <laughs> enough. Uh, so I think it will hit the big server, uh, the Habits of Cybertron, Exodus. Obviously the war. That's kind of the big one, isn't it? Uh, uh, they haven't even been pretended, but this was not going to be a scenario where war wasn't going to happen. Hmm. Uh Unless he's got some subversive surprises up his sleeves along the way. I just don't know how we're going to keep on having lists of characters if we're all on Earth now. Earth always implies, like, now we're going to have a limited cast. Um, well, is it meant to be entirely on Earth? Oh, right, yeah. Or... Yeah, you'll have it to cut in and other plots. And I would imagine, I mean, who knows how they're going to... 
do things going forward. Uh, I'm sure that, because obviously we've had this big gap, I'm sure they've had, used it to have a bit of a think, generally, because that's a good thing to do when you've got a gap to, to take stock of how you think you're doing. I've done no thinking uh, at all. None. I've done none, no thinking. I've just uh, been... That's why you're not in the comics industry, I've Tom, just been but... grinding. I'm not old enough. Uh, I've just been <laughs> grinding my teeth and watching videos of police brutality. That's all I've been doing this time. Well... Generally, obviously not for you, but generally I would say a sensible thing is if you do in this sort of month after month production rate, and then you have uh, a gap handed to you, use it as a positive and have a think and a regroup and okay, how have we done so far? What do we need to do differently? Any changes we can shake things up or what still what works? Uh, I, I would hope maybe using that sort of few months to do that anyway. In hmm. Whether they've all been self-isolated on Zoom. If only they had a podcast which they could steal ideas from. Now, what ideas should they steal, Tom? Give them your ideas. Well, well, we already talked about Rashid. That's your idea. Find a way to have lists of names on Earth. <laughs> yeah, yeah, lists of names on Earth are very important. But they could be like uh, hoverboards, like worm rock. Um, do you do you have any ideas about it? <laughs> no, I think you guys are covering it. <laughs> there you go. Maybe just... <laughs> this is been what their, their like work conferences on Zoom would be like. We go, okay, so let's get ahead of ourselves with this. Well, I say talk about like it's a big gap, but I think it's actually less of a gap than assuming issue twenty happens on the t- on time, and it'd be less of a gap than uh, there was between issues three and four of Galaxies, which I think was about four months. If anything, the COVID is uh, is less disruptive to Transformers comics than whatever happened there. Well, maybe because COVID is also disruptive to toy production, uh, we're going to have fewer lists of names now uh, because they need to catch up. <laughs> I can't imagine if there's no toys. I don't know, or just oh, they're stuck with the ones they've got for a while, aren't they? But it'd be quite nice because early IDW and the Dreamwave stuff really were handed this opportunity to not have to promote any toys. And they never really took advantage of that by just throwing everybody in anyway, like they were having to promote toys. So if, if they're kind of, there are less toys now and we can have a sort of focus cast of, of Skylinks and Cliff Jumper. And uh, Decepticon Mirage, <laughs> just those three, and nobody else in a comic on Earth with Rashid. Yeah, I think all of those characters should just take it in turns to report to an authority figure who just slowly crushes the armrests on his chair. And then when we go to the next scene, we'll have a different character on a chair, and then seven or so different characters report to him and he crushes. Again, that's. That's the perfect form of this comic. I think we may have put our finger on why it's Brian Rackley writing this book and not either of us. What? <laughs> Me? I don't know. Come on. We can, we, can make, we can make this work. We've got all the ideas. Uh, so I guess, uh, do, do we have any final thoughts, Fed, uh, to, to quickly uh, <laughs> to sum up? <laughs> Stop to this. I don't, know, I don't know why I said quickly there. Sorry. That was just rude. <laughs> I, I, I like this. I like it. I want more of it. I don't want them to go to Earth. It's rubbish. I need to stay where they are. We've got lots of things that still need to happen. 
Although I guess we are starting to see people get off the planet. Well, that's another thing, though. People, some people got off the planet, but then nobody else is supposed to get off the planet. So I don't see how they're supposed to go anywhere. Yeah, I'm very confused. Their, lost their big moon. They've got that. They've got that Insecticon poo to eat. Oh, they could build it of a space bridge. See, Insecticons, um, the Constructicons are on a different planet. Yeah. But they've got all the Insecticon poo, and they can bring it, and we'd be like, oh, we don't need a, a, a moon. We've got all this Insecticon poo. Oh, I see. So people can come to Cybertron, even though people can't leave Cybertron. Kind of an opposite yeah. situation from what we're trying to get to. <laughs> yeah, that doesn't work. But anyway, I, I think um, this is built up nicely. I think there were, like, from, I still remember, like, some of the first issues when I was reading, I was thinking, God, this dialogue is awful. Like, I, I think a lot of that seems to have uh, improved. We don't get that many big dialogues anymore. Uh, so we don't get, like, like what we had, like, that first encounter, the Optimus Megatron encounter, which was, like, very much a, all these two characters know each other, they've got history, we're going to sit here and read lots of text. Uh, I, I didn't think that that was very polished, but I think the characters have been coming into their own. Like, the less they have to say, I think, the better the plot progresses, weirdly. <laughs> I also really like Nautica Tom. I think uh, her whole side of the story is interesting. I really want to know what's going to happen with all those, uh, with Avoyne and uh, the other races there. Because I think that's also an interesting theme because the, it, you do get very much the impression that any organic life on the planet is under life. Um, so the, the Cybertronians are just oppressing other races in real life, aren't they? It, it doesn't feel like there's... I don't think that there is um, equality on the planet. Yeah, did the boy get to vote? They're very much treated like the other race, aren't they? Like those other... Those foreigners, those those other people. Yeah, I mean, Prowl keeps a pet, and the way he talks about the Voin is very much like, I don't know if they can even understand the words I say. That's why I have to shout. He feels... Yeah, there's, there's no there's no integration going on, is there? Yeah. It's very much a them and us. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and they're just sort of a problem or an imposition on us. Mm. Who are either being beneficent or... The whatever idea Nominus Prime had to set this up, the goodwill or the actual spirit around it seems to have been eroded pretty pretty um, definitively by this point. Hmm. Um, I hope Nominus Prime doesn't turn out to be a jerk. I kind of I quite like the idea that he was actually good. Hmm. It's odd because it, it's kind of with Heretic, like Nominus Prime, Prime's name is just a... He's, He's just nominal, right? He's not really a prime. He's just a prime in name. That's the joke. He's the average prime. Yeah, just uh, one of the prime. Yeah, it doesn't mm. quite. His name doesn't fit for a character who's supposed to be a sort of um, judicious humanist. There's a things I, I might mention yet. He might apparently damn with fake praise, according to Tom. What two things I particularly like? The first. And it's easy to underestimate this, is that we're sort of uh, three arcs in, 18 issues, strength 19. The world building is all fairly coherent and sensible so far. I mean, if you go back to when I, the original IDW continuity, when you were 18 issues into that, which was uh, the end of Devastation, I think, mm. uh, it was already starting to fray at the edges a bit. All the stuff 
that John Barber would devote the rest of his life to explaining <laughs> a lot of that was already happening by the end, by the time he got to Devastation. <laughs> if John Bar- oh, Barber wow. was to come into write the comics now, he would have very few continuity issues or things that don't line up or make sense to need to explain. It's such a diss. And it, even at that point, that was that was mainly just one writer. So, uh, so it's uh, I like that it's all hanging together still at this point, even with all the other stuff that the world has thrown on it, like uh, production delays and uh, release schedule changes from bi-monthly to monthly. They could have, uh, ways along the way, they could have dropped the ball of world building when dealing with the stuff around the actual making of the comic. Uh, I mean, the editor, I mean, here, and uh, editors. And they've kept on top of it so far, and I hope they really continue to do so that it feels like a world that doesn't need a John Barber to come along one day and, and make sense of it all. Uh, so I'm really, I'm really liking that, and I am loving the art. The art is uh, is just fantastic. For, for, we've sort of got this regular team now of uh, of Anna and and Beth uh, with the occasional uh, special guest star, and uh, they've all done. Good work, and not to go into forbidden issue territory. Uh, I like that we are finally going to get an issue that's entirely drawn by one person as well. Uh, following this, because uh, I think that's uh, that's what the artists have deserved to have a chance to have a crack with full twenty pages. Uh, and so that, that that is something that I was very happy to see with nineteen. And uh, all the art is, uh, I don't think I've got a single complaint about it in any of these issues from both uh, our old hand Alex through to the new artist whose name I have forgotten because I don't have it written in front of me. Uh, somebody help me. Umi Maya. Which one? Uh, oh, yes. Yeah. Uh, uh, all really good stuff. So yeah, uh, I'm looking forward to and hoping that 20, issue 20 is not hit by some other internationals that's uh, probably... That village that came out to see the other day is going to do something awful. A delay it. <laughs> well, let's hope not. Village that came out to sea? Yeah, it's a, like a uh, sea level drop or something, or a lake level drop to the sunken village. We emerge for the first time in decades or centuries. Oh, oh no, that, that doesn't sound good at all. Unless you're an archaeologist, in which case that would be uh, a real opportunity. Um, okay, yes. Yeah, likewise. I uh, I like the series. Um, I'm starting to, yeah, kind of fix on certain characters, and I get the feeling that Ruckley is as well. I think some of the awkwardness of the early things is that like I don't think he quite likes Prowl or Optimus really. He's having a bit of trouble with Megatron, but I think yeah, just got, like some of the guys like Astro Train. I really enjoy. Anyway. Um, yeah, there's, there's, it's, it's kind of found its heart. It's got an interesting thing to say, surprisingly relevant for good or ill, and yeah, I want to, I want to see more. You know, that is a good point about Optimus, Tom. I think, uh, yeah, this is a comic where there's an obligation to have Optimus in it, but not really that much interest in him. So he does tend to just pop up and say, "Oh, it's a shame this is happening," and then not really do anything else but yeah yeah because you kind of need i mean you can see why the story needs that character that kind of frustrated kind of do-gooder and then it will be satisfying when he gets the do-good 
don't know if he's just gonna like just shoot Sentinel in the head or whatever he's gonna do, but um, uh, yeah, there's there's not much to go with on him here. Just kind of looks sheepish. Megatron makes fun of him. Also, Drift hasn't turned up yet. Uh, I, f- I think uh, oh. Deadlock was our one of a million pages, so. Uh, was? Yeah, but again, I think the wiki said that, uh, that he was uh, on the. Like, there's like photos of characters on screens, and I believe one of them is supposed to be Deadlock. Bloody hell. I have, I have merged the memory of Deadlock being in this with, I think, what actually happened in the Cyberverse show. Yeah, yeah, me too. When we were talking about bars earlier, I kept thinking about Cyberverse, and I was like, hang on, there was a bar, wasn't there? The whole season was set in a bar. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Should we do a Cyberverse episode? I would not mind. I quite like Cyberverse. uh, I have not watched season three yet, but it has been a joy. Hmm. Apparently it's just basically IDW deep cut shows, isn't it? It would fall within our remit. Uh, yeah, yeah. There's a. There's clearly written by fans. Um, I think we'd get on with. Did, did Margaret Scott do any of it? Where she moved off from Transformers? Ooh, I think uh, she's onto bigger and better things. Isn't she doing like DC animated stuff at the moment? Don't know if you think that's bigger and better, Tom. But... Well, I, <laughs> you know, just in terms of, of of eyeballs. Yes, the cameos. Issue thirteen. There's Deadlock. There's Ambulon. Tesaurus and is that Fulcrum? It would surprise me. It wouldn't surprise me if Fulcrum's in there. Oh, because yeah, I think that's uh, oh, uh, Tarn is uh, but he's what was he called before he was Tarn? Glitch, uh, Damus, yeah, no. Damus is uh, Cameron uh, hanging around in there as well. Uh, Again, I'm not terrible at spotting cameos. This was all from looking at the wiki. But yeah, it was basically like, yeah, Mills put all his kids in cameos of the comic. Aww. On the pages he drew, which is quite nice. Um, okay. Now I said the wiki's cheating, but the wiki does tell me that Margaret Scott did write an episode aside of this. So she has not gone on to bigger and better things. <laughs> yeah, well, tell you what, Tom, when you move on to a comic a podcast talking about DC Comics, maybe you will have moved on to bigger. Oh, God, and you know, you've got, to, you've got to come hunt me down and shoot me if I do that. <laughs> Just kill me dead. Give us your thoughts on. Uh, well, I don't even know what DC Comics are doing. That is Watchmen in everything. That's, oh, that's the last oh, time I'm getting angry. Getting <laughs> angry just thinking about Watchmen. Ah. <laughs> I heard good things about it. Well, uh, which, which, what well, in in? I'm I'm too angry to speak. <laughs> <gasps> oh my god! Okay, interesting, interesting. <laughs> I would have never I, like it. I never had any interest in the new stuff, but somebody said it's actually quite good. Um, were, were they lying? I don't know. You know, I'm not actually. Is this sure. a TV show or the the comics? I think it was the TV show that we we're talking about. Oh, right. Yes. I think the, yeah, show's I the TV show is yeah. quite good, but I won't watch it because I'm, I'm angry. Okay. Are you are you angry because it exists? Um, yeah. Yeah. Okay. I can see that. That's why I haven't watched it. Yeah. Well, I'm not angry. I'm just in, not interested. It's like, I, you know, I held out on watching the Marvel movies until you literally couldn't have a conversation with anybody without Avengers Endgame coming up. 
creators right and whatnot. But the, uh, you, you know what? The, I quite like them. You know what's happened here, Tom? What? You have ended up on a DC Comics podcast. Oh, oh no! I'm in hell. I'm in hell. I've died somewhere. I was killed by the virus or the police. And now, now I'm locked in a DC Comics podcast for eternity because I didn't. Hey, I didn't give my soul that- to Christ. Maybe the police are the virus, eh? Ah. No, but they're too. Well, they're far too big to be a virus. That's how evolution works. Sorry, yeah, yes, I guess it come is. Now. <laughs> well, as as we close out another episode of our DC Watchmen <laughs> podcast, uh, where can uh, Tom? Where can people find you to ask you about Watchmen? Oh. Oh no! Don't ever, don't ever ask me about Watchmen, please. Um, uh, come to Twitter at uh, at Tyrone McNally, or um, I'll, you know, just phone me up. Just phone me up in the middle what, of the night. What's your number? Oh, okay. <laughs> oh should, should we bleep. I don't know. What's a what's a funnier way to de- deliver that line? Uh, in your uh, gizmo voice. Oh God. I can't remember how it went now. I'm a molester. No. Yeah, it was Jerry Lewis meets Woody Allen. Jerry Lewis meets Lewis. Other... Yeah. Hang on. Well, I've got to say my phone number in, in Jerry Lewis's voice. This was either trick you to send your phone number out loud on the podcast <laughs> in the voice of a, a man who married a teenager. Yeah, but. <laughs> and anyway, Marion, would you like to do any funny voices and how could people find you? People can find me on Twitter. I don't do funny voices because my voice is funny enough. Oh, Twitter at Morta. Thanks. And uh, I'm still at Inflatable Dalek. And uh, normally I would pimp out my website and stuff. But uh, I'm just going to say Black Lives Matter at the end here. Uh, Even though I suspect just about everyone who's going to listen to this will agree with that sentiment anyway. I will not suddenly have a world view changed by me saying it but it feels like a thing to say at these times and i hope all our listeners and friends out there are taking care of themselves uh don't go near the space elevator don't go near the sunken village and uh just do what you can folks uh goodbye bye bye bye